It's good to see you all here. <laughs> I hate to break up what's going on because what's going on is kind of part of what we're talking about. Uh, we've been talking about it. This is the sixth installment uh, of a one anothering series that we're preaching on. Uh, and I am excited about the topic of today. Uh, I'm excited to get into it. But before we do, uh, just let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here. It's because of what you have done, what you continue to do in our lives uh, is why we are here. And we are blessed because of it. We are blessed because of your spirit and for your word that we don't have to second guess what is wrong or right. We don't have to second guess uh, we, what is truth in our lives and, and, and the directions and the decisions that we need to make. We don't have to second guess that. It is clear from scripture. It is clear through your spirit of what we, want, what we need to do. Help us, Lord. Make that truth connect in our hearts this morning. Let us respond to that in your power to be able to listen to your words and to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before I got a job here at Gateway as a pastor, uh, which is really actually a cool thing to say. Like, I'm a pastor. Like, that's just, it's fun for me to say it. It's fun for me uh, out in the community to talk about that. It leads to a lot of conversations, conversations that Pastor Bob has talked about, uh, like on the plane and stuff like that. Usually for me, it's like the coffee shop. Uh, it's just the meeting with you guys and having those conversations uh, with people that say, like, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. They're like, oh, and that just leads into a variety of conversations, conversations that I didn't really have. I, my old job, the job that I had previous to this, I was, a, uh, was, a steel, I was at a steel plant, and I was an operations manager for that plant, and the conversations were just different. It just, it just sounded different than it does now. It looked a lot different. It felt a lot different, and I applied a lot more of my time to things like safety. I was very committed to it. Uh, it's, I spent most of my time, most of my effort uh, looking to keep those guys in the warehouse and on the plant floor safe. Years ago, I was asked to uh, speak for a little bit at a seminar that we were having for all of North America uh, for the operations manager, and we all got together in Toronto to discuss a variety of different topics, one of those being safety. And I was asked to speak on safety for a little bit uh, because at that time, we had gone eight years without a lost time accident in our facility. I know, for a steel plant. I, I mean, some of it was a little bit of luck, of course, uh, but it was certain things that I really applied myself to, and then the guys, all the people on the floor then gathered around those things, uh, and we applied ourselves to that as a team, and I was asked to speak on it. And I started out my presentation by saying this. As managers, you need to create a culture of safety. <laughs> Everyone's like, who, who is this guy, right? This is nothing new. This is, a, this is things that everyone teaches. Every single time we talk about safety, you need to create a culture of safety. We know that. I said you need to prioritize it. Yep. You need to be consistent with it. Okay, okay, right? You need to be dedicated to it. Right. We're on board. We've heard it time and time again. And then I said I told him, in creating this culture of safety, one of the things that we need to do, one of the main things, the most important things for us to do in creating this culture is more than just training. It's more than just developing guidelines. 
It's about developing a team that actually cares for one another. <laughs> and then, then their faces were like, wait, who is this guy? And this is, a, this is like we're talking about steel, right? And we're talking about operations. Is this guy talking about love? Like, what is going on? And I, I told him that developing a team for safety is about more than just rules, about regulations. It's more than just like getting people together and let's make that job happen and let's get some, some money rolling in for the company. It's about developing a team that looks more like an extended family who look out for one another. And that's what we're talking about today, to look out for one another, to have each other's backs. There needs to be rules. There needs to be guidelines. There needs to be safe operating procedures, and there needs to be corrective action, and all that, that is absolutely true. But if it's only these things, then safety is no more than just another list of responsibilities. It's another to-do list and employees will begin to loosen themselves from those responsibilities. They will look to cut corners. They will look for ways that they cannot do those things because there is nothing about that rule or that guideline that it connects with their heart and the importance of why they need to do it. It can't be just rules to protect other people. I've seen it so many times where those rules, if they're not connected to the hearts of the team, then we begin to cut corners for those rules. We begin to even cut those corners or cut those complete rules out altogether. We find loopholes in those rules. And then what we do is we just go through the motions of making it look like we're following those rules. But true safety, true safety has its start. It has its root in caring for the person next to you so that you have their back and they have yours, knowing that lives depend on it. It is impossible it is impossible to have a long-term safety program if no one looks out for one another, if no one has each other's backs. Does that principle of looking out for one another, does that apply here to what we have at Gateway in the church? Does it apply to our safety? What about more than just our safety? Does that principle of looking out for one another, does it apply to our faith? What about our commitment to Christ? What about one of our, uh, the five-year goal that we have? Does it, is it, does it apply to spreading the gospel or glorification of Jesus? Does it apply to the building up of the church? Let me tell you, it is impossible to have the community that God has designed, that he desires for us, that he even commands for us if no one cares enough to look out for one another. And we see this idea in Philippians chapter 2. Verse four. So Paul just gets done saying it in verse three. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. And then he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I started wondering, what is that word interests? What do we do with that? How do we apply it? What exactly does it mean? And so I, I started looking into it, hoping that I would find this huge Greek word uh, for that so that we could like begin to like really pull it apart and dissect it and drill down into it to find deep meaning. And what I found was completely the opposite is two letter words, T-A, it's just ta, that's it. It just means things, stuff, that's it. 
So Paul, what Paul is saying then is we are to look to the things of others, not just the things of our own. I mean, that's vague, right? So to look for like deeper meaning, well, exactly then what is Paul talking? What, like the just things, we just looked out for the things of one another, then what does that word look look like? And that's where I found some things that were very interesting. The word look, he says look to the things of others. It means to scrutinize, to give close attention, to give special consideration, and there's a reason that we would do that. It's not just looking for the sake of looking, that we have ownership to that. There is some responsibility in the thing that we're looking at. That's why we're scrutinizing it. That's why we're giving it special attention. So we are to direct our attention to others, to have a duty toward others because we're not just interested in us. We are interested and we have a responsibility for other people. Verse 4 is putting into practice verse 3. Verse three is to consider others more significant than ourselves, and as a result, we give close attention. As a result, we give special consideration to others. So what does that look like? How, do we, what is that, how does it play out in our lives when it comes to daily activities? It's, I just wanted to give you some examples because I feel like I could give you hundreds of examples of what it means to look to the things of others, not just the things of our own, but I'm just gonna give you some. It means that we share life with one another. I love that one. We share life together. Life is really, really good, isn't it? Life is also very, very challenging. It can be very difficult. There can be sorrow. There can be hardships. There's pain and there's ailments. To be looking out for each other means that we share the responsibility of going through life together, to share the responsibility of getting through difficulties together. Romans 12, 15, Paul says, weep with those who weep. Don't try to cure their problems and their suffering by giving them some kind of like buck up, camper, chin up. (laughs) Things could be worse Don't try to fix it with platitudes. Looking out for them means that you come alongside of them, that you see their pain. You're in their shoes, and their pain becomes your pain. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul talking about what we have here, talking about the church. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. It's like when we stub our toe. The whole body responds to that. The whole body feels that pain and responds to it. When life is difficult, we are there for one another so that we're not left alone. So then we're not fending for ourselves because it's not good. It's not good for us to be alone, is it? We need to share life with one another. Another one is this. Looking out for one another means helping each other have a clear focus, a vision about what's truly important. Okay, so during our day, during any given hour, there are so many things for us to be distracted by, shiny things all over the place, isn't there? We're so focused on the things of this world that our attention gets drawn away from God and from the the things of his kingdom. 
that we pay no attention to those things whatsoever, pulled away from why we are alive and what we have been saved for. If you don't know it by now, texting and driving is a really bad idea, isn't it? If you don't know it, let me just tell you. Texting and driving is a really bad idea. The average time spent in responding to a text while we're driving is five seconds. That is five seconds where there is no attention at all, none whatsoever to the road, not even peripheral because of the activity of what we're doing. And in five seconds, a car traveling at 55 miles an hour will travel the entire length of a football field. So from me to the back of the auditorium, I measured it out. That is only a quarter of the distance that we travel when we don't pay any attention to the road. Think what could happen in that distance, right? Think how many families, think how many children in that distance. Think about all the possibilities. The Christian life, the Christian faith is exactly the same, how true it is for us as we walk with the Lord. How long have we gone in life? How many days distracted away from the things of significance, away from God, away from his kingdom, really, to really begin to notice each other, distracted away from each other, distracted away from our cries of help and our needs, distracted away from the duties and the responsibilities that we have to one another distracted away from the objects of God's love and his affection. We need to be reminded of God's calling and commands, looking out for one another. We have a responsibility to each other to help refocus one another on the things of eternal value, to help get our eyes off of the distractions and onto the things that really, really matter to help each other be sober-minded, to have a clear vision to what God has called us to do and where he is bringing us both as a church and us individually as believers and followers of Christ. Here's another one. Looking out for one another means being together. It's what we call community. And in community, we have conversations with each other and then we listen. We text, there's phone calls, there's meetings at coffee shops, there's getting together face to face to have conversations, to have conversations with one another. We move toward one another. We get closer to one another as we get closer to Jesus. And there is nothing, there should be nothing, absolutely nothing that would keep us from growing closer together. Let there be nothing in between us and in that community. We have thoughtful conversations, in-depth conversations, and then we listen. We ask questions, and then we listen. We see the good in others, and we encourage it. We look at needs, and then we find out ways to be a blessing, to be an encouragement to others. As we begin to know each other, we begin to search Scripture for one another. How cool of an idea is that? to read the Bible with someone else in mind. And when you find that verse, when you find that verse that you feel connects with that person and what they're going through and in their circumstances, you write it down. You send it to them. You call them. You make sure that you text it. You get together and you discuss it. You find that verse that connects with them 
and it leads us to fall on our knees before God, to pray for that person, to bring one another before him with that scripture in mind, to ask God to materialize, to manifest that scripture in their lives. This is looking out for one another. Being together in community looks like taking responsibility for the well-being, for the spiritual, the physical, the mental well-being of one another. This idea of responsibility is what Paul is talking about with that word look, that we don't just look for the sake of looking, that we don't just look just to see, but we look to the things of others to pay close attention, special consideration because we owe them our responsibility. So in this series, we've already talked about serving one another. We've talked about welcoming one another. Last week, Pastor Matthias talked about building one another up. Let me ask you, how do we do those things if we're not first looking out for one another? If love doesn't drive us to watch out for one another, to feel a sense of responsibility for each other. A responsibility for each other. Some might say, well, I'm not my brother's keeper. (laughs) I'm not responsible for them. In Genesis 4, it's the story of Cain and Abel. And that's where we read that famous question that Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? So Cain, you know the story, he kills his brother, Abel. And God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, where's your brother at? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So in essence, what Cain is saying to God, how should I know where he is? I'm not responsible for him. I'm not his watchman. But think about that response. First of all, Cain lied, didn't he? He lied. He said he didn't know where he was. He did know where his brother was. He knew where his body was at least because he killed his brother and laid his body somewhere, probably hid it, right? He knew where Abel's body was. Cain was responsible. Cain was responsible for the death of his brother. In Cain's hands, he held the responsibility to either give life or to deal death. In his attitude, in his behavior, in his actions, he could either build up or he could tear down his brother. Was Cain his brother's keeper? Was he responsible for Abel? Absolutely. And as brothers and sisters in here, we have a responsibility. We are our brothers and our sisters' keeper. We don't just hang out with one another to have acquaintances, to associate only with one another, but we look out for each other. We have responsibility to one another as brothers and sisters. And out of this responsibility for us as a family comes this idea of community. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. If we're gonna have community the way that God has designed it, then we have to spend time together. And this is where we're gonna be going for the rest of our time this morning in community, more specifically, actually, in biblical community. So we'll take a look at a few things that we need in order to have the community that God has designed, some building blocks, if you will, right? So we'll take a look at those things, and then we'll take a look at a couple of practical things that we can do to put those building blocks together. 
So one of the building blocks, first and foremost building block for a community that God has designed for us, that we would help each other to look out for one another, is this, it requires Jesus. One more time. Requires Jesus. There's a reoccurring theme, isn't there? In this, in this sermon series, there's a reoccurring theme. It's that what God does for us and what God, how he treats us is what we do and how we treat one another. It is no different for looking out for one another. Jesus is always, always looking out for us, isn't he? You take the cross as one example. He considered our sin his responsibility. He took our sin upon himself. He bore the punishment and the, for our sins, for our wrongdoing. If anyone in this room doesn't know about the cross, if they don't know about Jesus, I encourage you to ask the person that brought you to talk to me. Talk with someone in this room who has walked with Jesus for one year, for 20 years, for 60 years. You ask them what is the best thing in life? What is the most transforming thing in life? What is the most awe-inspiring, the most rewarding, the most fundamentally awesome thing about life? And they will tell you, I will tell you, it is Jesus and nothing else. He is life. To truly look out for one another and to be responsible for one another first requires a Savior, a Savior who loves us, who teaches us what life is all about, who shows us what love is and how to look out for one another. It requires a head of the body of believers. It requires a God that is unconditionally and all-powerfully looking out for us all the time so that we know how then to look out for one another. Second thing that we need, and we get this from Jesus, it is a desire that he puts in our hearts is a commitment to community a commitment to biblical community. When I say biblical community, I mean this. It is a group of people that get together and they have one purpose. They have one interest in mind and that is Jesus, that's it, it's Jesus. The only way someone is gonna have your back, the way that we read about it in scripture, the only way that you're going to have someone's back and they're going to have yours is involved and committed to a biblical-based community. Now, I'm not talking about a community of 300 like we have in this room, right, where we can slip in and slip out without anyone noticing. We might have like a, maybe a two-minute conversation uh, that most of the time uh, is very surface level. I'm talking about smaller groups that meet together consistently and regularly. These small groups here at Gateway are called grow groups. And these groups are smaller groups that meet together maybe once a week, sometimes once every two weeks, and they meet regularly, they meet consistently, and together we live life together in these groups. In these groups, we live out the one another's with one another. These groups are safe places for us to go to that we can connect with people, not just on a surface level, but connect with them so that we share our heart, we share our difficulties, we share our lives with those people, and we pray for one another. Hebrews 3.13 says this, exhort, means encourage, one another every single day. 
every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The bottom line is that these groups exist for us to be able to provide a way for us to talk with one another, to encourage each other's faith, to say things and to do things for one another that points to Jesus. These groups, they reflect God's design for us in our community. There's no, it's not good. It's not good for us to be alone. There's no wisdom in being alone, or it's important for us to prioritize community. And I encourage you to join a group. I encourage you to start a group. Be committed to that group. Contact me. I can help you with that. It's Gary at gatewayweb.org. Call me. Call the office. I'm glad to talk to you. I'm glad to meet with you. I'm glad to find a group with you because it's in community like those that we find real responsibility for one another. We begin to look out for one another in those groups. In that community, then we need to have a correct perspective. It's one of the building blocks for a biblical community is that we are called to love one another, to be committed to one another, and because of his love and what Christ has done for us, in our hearts and our lives, because of that love, one of the things that it does is it begins to change the way that we define things and look at things. It changes what we value, doesn't it? How we value things because of the way we look at them. The verse right after the verse that we're looking at in verse five of chapter two of Philippians, Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, this attitude, this mind, which is yours, to have it, to think differently because of Jesus' influence, because of his love for us. We begin to think about one another differently. We think of the church differently. We think of getting together, and as brothers and sisters, we think of individuals as different. Our perspective about meeting together, it totally changes how we see our involvement in people's lives, it changes and we see it as something of significance and not just by chance. We see it as significant with depth and eternal value. We see a brotherhood, a sisterhood. See, what we have here at Gateway, what we have in our grow groups, what we have in our ministries and our programs is so much more than just an extended family. It's not an extended family. It's an immediate family. Not a family where we share just physical human blood, but an immediate spiritual family that is bought and is covered by the blood of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's something for us to be excited about. It's something for us to be invested in. It's something for us to be committed to. And it's important for us to think about it for what it is. It's a, it's a gift from God. And it's precious. We need to have the right perspective about it. And there's another thing we need to be thinking rightly about. If we want to be successful at looking out for one another, then we need to have a mentality of war. So as the operations manager, I had an office it had a big bay window that looked out on the floor, looked out on operations. And whenever there was a new employee that would start, even before they set foot on the floor, they would sit down in my office and I would give them all their protective equipment. And I said, before you step on that floor, there's something that you need to know. You need to know that when you step out there, that you are at war and we have a common enemy. That enemy there being steel. And that enemy wants to cut you. 
That enemy wants to crush you. That enemy is heartless and it is relentlessly looking to, for you to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we, as believers, we are also at war on this earth. We have a common enemy, don't we? Whether or not we believe it, whether or not we even remember it on a daily basis, the Bible says that we have an enemy and that enemy is the devil and his demons. Jesus told Peter that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He literally wants to tear you apart. We are told that Satan roams the earth seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he can lull into inactivity, to redirect with lies, distract with entertainment, seeking whom he can ruin with temptation. When is the last time? When is the last time that we thought about that in relation to our daily activities and to each other. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, his schemes, his well-thought-out plans. Let's not be outwitted by our enemy. Let's not be ignorant about his schemes. Let us not forget that we have an enemy and that we are at war. When's the last time that we looked at each other and we saw fellow soldiers and that fellow soldier has an enemy and that enemy is after them. That enemy wants to hurt them. That enemy wants to lie to them. That enemy hates them and wants to kill them. When is the last time that we looked at each other and said, brother, sister, we're at war but I'm praying for you and I have your back. We are at war, but it's not against flesh and blood, is it? It's not against each other. We are not called to fight each other. We are called to unite. We share the same spirit. We, sh- we have the same Lord. We have been given the same marching orders, and that is to love and to share Jesus and to watch out for the person on our right while we do it and watch out for the person on our left to make sure that we don't abandon them. We don't abandon them to let them be abused by the enemy, that we don't leave each other behind. We don't abandon one another when the battle rages. That We don't abandon each other so the enemy can be attacking them. We are committed to never leave a brother or sister behind because we recognize that we are at war. A fellow soldier needs each other, don't we? Fellow soldiers need each other. And Paul says, in humility, consider others as more significant than yourselves. It is this humility It's so important because it teaches us, it reminds us, it shows us that we need each other. This humility reminds us that we need God and we need one another the way God has designed it. But pride, pride tells us that we're self-sufficient. Pride tells us that we are not vulnerable. That is a lie. Brothers and sisters, that is a lie because we are at war. The Bible tells us to put on the armor that God gives to us. That's Ephesians 6. Why? Because we're at war. We need others to remind us about that armor. Like, hey, my man, you're missing some of your armor. You need to protect your head. You need to protect your chest. You need to protect your feet. Let me show you how to wield that sword. (laughs) We need to hear these things from our family because we're fighting a battle together. 
So it starts with Jesus, and then Jesus moves us to community. And those communities that are biblical communities, those, those communities, Jesus is he's in those communities. He's around those communities. He's, he's in them and around them and through them. And then in those communities and in, in the power of Jesus and his spirit, he begins to change our perspective about meeting with one another and the importance of one another. He begins to change our perspective so that we can be reminded that we are fellow soldiers and that we're at war. And that perspective then also leads us to believe. It convinces us, it reminds us that humility is a valuable asset, that we need that humility. And these are the building blocks of looking out for one another. So if these are the blocks, then how do we put them together to build the building? What are some practical things that we can do? And I'm going to give you only two. And I could give you 200, but I don't think that we would remember 200 different things. But there's so many things. I just, they're so, so broad. But I want to just give you two things. One thing for us to stop and one thing for us to start. First, stop. One of my passions, one of my earthly loves is backpacking. I love backpacking. I love how going out into the woods, being away overnight, I love how everything tastes. You know what I'm talking about? If you've been backpacking, I love how food tastes. I love how water is so sweet. I love the beauty of the earth. I love the camaraderie and the fellowship that I have with the people that I go to. Everything just seems sweeter and more precious. So one of the things I've done over the years to kind of, uh, because I've had bad experience with backpacking too, right? So one of the things I've done over the years to protect that, to encourage that, is I've developed rules. So I will tell these rules to the people who have not gone with me backpacking before. I will tell them the rules days before we go when we're, took, when we're taking a look at the packing list and all that kind of stuff. I tell them, okay, I have a couple of rules. Uh, and then I remind them, gently remind them about these rules right before we take a step out onto the trail. So last year, I was able to bring Nina backpacking with me for the very first time, and it was awesome. It was so good. She's seven now. She was, she was six when she first went, uh, and we went out, and we had a great time. But before we left, I told her, now, <laughs> Daddy's got a few rules. So rule number one. There's no whining. <laughs> Rule number two is no griping. Rule number three, there is no complaining. Rule number four, we pack out whatever we pack in. <laughs> but rule number one, two, and three is the number one rule that we have, and it is no complaining. We need to stop complaining. We go into the wilderness. We pack into the middle of nowhere. We have what we need to survive on our backs and it's heavy. Our feet get sore, our back begins to ache. We, it's going to be difficult, but we know that going into it. What we don't want to do is we don't want to miss the point of why we are going. If you want to go out into a lush and beautiful and amazing God-given creation and you don't want to see it, if you don't want to experience it, if you don't want to appreciate it for what it is, then keep your eyes on yourself and complain the entire time and you miss the whole reason of going out there. 
if you want to be a part of a family, part of a body, part of a community, and then not be able to see how beneficial it is, how healthy it is for us, how God uses this in our life. If you want to miss all the blessings of that community and that family, and then miss out on all the ways that you could be the blessing, then you keep your eyes on yourself and you allow complaining to corrupt your conversations. And when I say complaining, I'm not talking about legitimate hardships of life. When things are legitimately hard and difficult, they weigh heavy on our soul, don't they? And we need one another. We need to talk to one another about that because we need each other's support and we need each other's prayers. We go to the Lord with those things. But complaining... Complaining is something different. Complaining is a result of only using our physical eyes to see our circumstances and the people that are around us and not our eyes of faith. And when we use our physical eyes, we are bound to see chaos. It's easy for us to lose hope. We're blind to the gifts of God I see me as a priority. I don't see God's involvement. We don't see his purposes, his plans. We are not reminded about his promises. And when we do, then nothing is good enough. So we complain. And when we do, we're usually not interested in solutions or being a part of that solution. This is not what faith looks like. Later in chapter 2 of Philippians, in verse 14, Paul says, do everything, everything without complaining and arguing. First Peter 4, 9, he tells us, show hospitality to one another without complaining or grumbling. Why does he say that? Because complaining lacks faith. It indirectly and sometimes even directly accuses God of not being powerful enough to do anything about our circumstances, sometimes even accusing him of not caring enough to be involved. See, we snub God with our complaints and we poison one another with it. We drag one another down. See, looking out for one another means looking for opportunities to build each other's faith, not tear it down. Looking out for one another means taking the responsibility to see one another and to be reminded about believers, to remind each other about God's unchangeable attributes, to remind each other that God is faithful, that he is patient, that he is kind, that he has his everlasting love for us. Complaining leads us away from that love. It leads us away from his wisdom. It creates questions like, is God really competent? Is he really all-powerful? Does he actually care about me and my circumstances? But when we live by faith, when we have eyes to see with faith, we begin to see circumstances. We see one another differently. We see more clearly we interpret more accurately so that we see order and not chaos. We see God's involvement. It begins to create hope in our hearts and our minds that eliminates cause for complaints so that we don't waste, that we don't corrupt the time that we have with one another. We need to stop complaining. The second one is we need to start making time for one another. 
Don't just look to your own interests. Don't just look to your own things, but look to the things and the interests of other people. What is the major obstacle with that? I find that a major obstacle with that is time. I'm not involved with a grow group. My schedule is just so busy. I'm involved in a grow group, but I'm not really super committed to it because, man, my schedule is off the charts. I'd like to be a part of that ministry, that Bible study, that event that's going on. I'd like to spend more time with my family, more personal time, more quality time, more quantity time with my spouse or my kids. Uh, My schedule's so full, though. Now, there are seasons in life And there are stages in life that are more full and more busy than others. I get that. But we should never be so busy that we would abandon what God has for us, that we would forsake his commands and his designs for us in our lives. A couple of psychologists years ago did a study uh, with some Princeton Seminary students. And they asked these students uh, if they would do a presentation, a short presentation on the Good Samaritan. The students were to meet at the office, and when they did, they were told that their speaking engagement was across campus. And then along the way to their speaking engagement, there was a fake victim who was laying down, face down, and he was groaning, and he was crying out for help. Now, they split the, they split the students into two different groups. The first group, they, they told the group that you got plenty of time. You have tons of time. Get to your speaking engagement across campus uh, and don't worry about the time. We'll sort out who's going to speak when and all that. Uh, just, just relax. And of those students, the vast majority of them saw the victim and they stopped to help the victim. Now, the other group of seminary students, they were told that they had five minutes. Five minutes and you need to hurry. Go. 10% of seminary students who were on their way to a speaking engagement about the Good Samaritan. Only 10% of them stopped to help the victim. Why? Because one group were calloused and they were (laughs) cold-blooded? Now the main difference between them, that was one group, one group felt the pressure of time constraints and the other group did not. So often, we feel like we don't have time. That the pressure from time constraints, it can dictate our decisions. It can dictate the direction of our lives. And as we walk with Jesus, Jesus wants to begin to remove those those constraints, to remove those shackles from us and allow God's love to compel us not to have our schedule or agenda compel us, but God's love. And this requires us to really evaluate, doesn't it? We need to evaluate what we spend our time doing, prioritize that which is of importance. Paul says in humility, in humility we're to consider others more significant than ourselves, then we need to stop being selfish with the time that has been given to us and time has been given to us, hasn't it? We're to be good stewards with the time that God gives to us. The Bible says that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price. If we are not our own, then our time is not our own either. It has been given to us by God and we are to be wise with it. One of the reasons that we need to be wise with it because time is very limited. We see that in like Psalm 90, it's in your notes. This is the other reason that Jesus changes our perspective and as our perspectives begin to change, then so does our priorities. So we're to take the limited time 
that God invests into us. See, he invests time into you and I, and then we're to take that investment and reinvest it into the lives of others, to consider others more significant than ourselves, to give close attention, to give special consideration to the interests of others, to look out for one another and take responsibility for our brothers and our sisters. So we've talked about how God has designed us to be in community. We've talked about the importance of having responsibility for one another, to have responsibility for our brothers and our sisters, and how vital it is that we have each other's backs, how important it is that we don't leave our brothers and sisters behind. We need to be looking out for one another. It is so needed. It is so vital. It is so important. Jesus tells us the most important thing that sums up all the laws and the prophets, that sums up their existence and why we are here. He says to love God and love others. Love others means that you look out for them. And my prayer is that we begin doing that today, that we would start carving out time for that today to give more devotion and priority to that which is so important. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for looking out for us. You always look out for us. You look out for us. You sustain our lives. You satisfy us in every way, every second of the day. You give us everything that we have, including our time. And Father, we recognize that you do look out for us and we recognize the importance of looking out for one another and we ask your help with that, that you ask, we ask for just devotion and dedication to that, that you would make it a priority for us to keep that at the forefront of our mind as we serve one another, we look out for one another so that we can prioritize that which you have prioritized, to, to look to and to love the objects of your affection. Thank you so much for this church, the fellowship that we have here, the brothers and sisters, the immediate spiritual family that we have here. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us to see it for what it is as your gift for us to appreciate it, for us to invest in it. Thank you so much for what you've done in our lives and where you're bringing us and where you're bringing this church. We look forward to the direction and we just pray that we would be granted the desire by you to follow that guidance to lead you wherever you go in this church and in our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.